It's time to take a look around the NFL with our weekly visit from John McClain here on Raider Nation Radio 920. And here we are kicking off hour number two of the show, and we do have John McClain on the phone lines. And, John, thank you for your time. As always, definitely appreciate you. Hope you and yours had a happy 4th of July. And, John, I got to start off with asking, how was the softball game on Saturday? I know I didn't make it, but how was the softball game? Well, your team, the current media people, could have used you because we hammered them 9-5 in 1914 in the doubleheader, and they all blamed the deficits on you not showing up. <laughs> I wanted to. I really did, John, and I just didn't I wasn't able to make it, but I know my good friend Mandy Knight, she said she went out there and represented. Yes, she did. They had 11 there, and it was a lot of fun. It was hot, but it was fun and you were missed by many. That if we hadn't had the pandemic cancel at the last two years, that would have been 40 in a row going back wow. to 1983. That's awesome. That really is, and it's always been a, a lot of fun to be a part of that, and uh, I definitely want to do it. I'm going to try to make sure I pencil that in and make it uh, next year because, I, 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 man, I miss it. I started the show talking about how much I missed the, the softball game on, on Saturday, and DeMond here didn't believe that I was actually really good and, and, and was able to hit home runs. Is that what you told him? I told him that I was, I told him that I was the guy. I was like, man, they might have missed me out there. Yeah, John, I just got to ask. Hold on, DeMond. If he told you, it has to be true, right? No, that's not it at all. You never lies, right? <laughs> I get up here and I no, talk about what I did in high school and nobody believes right. me. You used to hit home runs. We had some ringers, some young guys from high school, their baseball team that helped us. It's amazing what happens when you can field shorter <laughs> innings, shorter games. We had a lot of long home runs. And the, the Waco media team did miss Q. And i tell you what, DeMond, he's a – He's a really good hitter, and and as far as his fielding, he's a really good hitter. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll take one out of two. That's fine. But uh, like you said, I'm a really good hitter. Again, we're talking with John McClade here on Radio Nation Radio 920. And, John, we're getting closer and closer. I can't wait till Canton, Ohio, uh, when Cliff Branch goes into the Hall of Fame. And you as a longtime Hall of Fame voter, I just kind of wanted to pick your brain about the Hall of Fame. So there's so many guys that play in the NFL at a very high level but just aren't Hall of Famers. What does it mean? to be a Hall of Famer. How do you get that prestige, uh, you know, that, that title of a Hall of Famer? Well, first of all, if you make the Pro Football Hall of Fame, you know, you're immortal. You know, they can't. As I see the current members, when they talk to the new one, new members, they tell them, you can't get cut, you can't get traded, you can't leave as a free agent, you're on our team forever. And forever means forever. So long after you're gone, your plaque will be in Canton. Your bronze, you've been bronzed in the bronze room, statues at Canton, which I never get tired of. I'll tell you what was, I've done two things, Q, at the hall. I've probably been there 50 times going back. My first time was in 1985 when the Oilers played the Giants in the Hall of Fame game. And I think as I'm coming up on my 30th year, as a, a member of the selection committee, I used to go every year when I was covering the NFL. And so one of the things I asked the executives, if I could do, could I, after you close it, can I walk around the hall and write a story about going through it in the middle of the night when there's nobody there? And they met and they said, yes, you can, but security will have to have on all our alarms and everything. And I said, okay. And they said, do you let the security people know? 
when you're ready to come out. So I think I went there about one in the morning, walked around for two hours, and it was eerie going through the, the rooms where all the bus were and they had the security lights on, but it, it wasn't bright at all. And, uh, it was, I think, I don't think anybody's ever done that but me. And the second thing was very, uh, Interesting. The Texans played the Browns last year in Cleveland in the second game. And my longtime photographer, Brett Coomer, who shoots all the Texans games, told me, he said, why don't we go up a day early? Let's go to Canton and shoot a bunch of pictures of you inside and outside the Hall of Fame since you're planning to retire and we can run them in the Chronicle and on online. And I thought, okay, that's great. So I called a friend of mine at the hall. She said, yep give you VIP passes, you go anywhere you want. Well, it was crowded, and and Brad was trying to shoot pictures of me in front of Oiler players like Earl Campbell, Warren Moon, Robert Brazil, Dr. Noon, Curly Culp. And one time I was standing in front of, I think, defensive end. No, it was in front of Bruce Matthews' mm. bust. And a woman came up to me and said, congratulations. And I said, thank you so much. She thought we were shooting my picture in front of my boat. <laughs> That's <laughs> awesome. I looked, I looked around for a German shepherd and a cane, but I didn't see him. And so I didn't want to burst her bubble. It's kind of cool. So sure enough, when I retired and announced it on March 31st, uh, we ran a bunch of those pictures Brett had taken online. And I was so glad he came up with that. Uh, with that plan, as far as Cliff Branch, Cliff's from here. I've voted for Cliff for years. One time he came in second, then he kind of faded, and I'm glad he finally made it. I'm sorry he's not alive, uh, but that will – I know that's disappointed his family and friends, but the fact is getting in later is is – better than never. Right. No doubt about that. And, you know, uh, Cliff was a game changer. You know, he really changed the way that, that football was played. But uh, what what is something that stood out to you about Cliff, about what he did for the game of football? His speed. He changed. He didn't change it. Bob Hayes. And one reason Bob Hayes finally got in the Hall of Fame, the great, late, great cowboy receiver, Kenny Houston, who was a first ballot inductee in 1986, played safety for the Redskins. And Kenny said, and this was used in our meeting, that when the Cowboys were two weeks away from Washington, no matter who they played the week before, even if it's the Giants and the Eagles, they started talking about Bob Hayes and his speed and what they were going to do to try to combat it. And he says, I've never been on a team that ever worried about a player before we played him like Bob Hayes. And that shows you how he changed the game. And mm-hmm. then Cliff Branch came along, similar player, fast, not quite as fast, because Hayes was an Olympic champion. Mm-hmm. But according to Al Davis, you know, Cliff, his speed made all the difference in the world about how defenses played the Raiders' offense, not just the passing game, but how they played the running game, because you had to worry about him. You had to keep a safety over the top. Cliff played when they played man almost exclusive man coverage and you could hit the receiver all over the field you could cheap shot him get him in the helmet 
hit him in the knees, things you can't do today. And he survived it, and he won, what, three Super Bowl rings? Yep, three Super Bowl rings, yep. Now he's going into the Hall of Fame. So that'll that'll be really cool to see his family be there to accept that and, and, and just soak that all in. And I know his nephews will be there. And just the whole family is going to be a big celebration for Raider Nation. You mentioned Al Davis, John. Yesterday was his birthday. Would have been his 93rd birthday. Of course, it was Independence Day as well. Uh, what made Al Davis, in your opinion, a Hall of Famer? Uh, first of all, he was a trailblazer, a pioneer. You know, he's commissioner of the American Football League. One of the reasons Al got crossways with Pete Rozelle, it wasn't always about going to court when he wanted to relocate to L.A. He first came up with the idea of relocating to L.A. when they were talking about pay-per-view. Now, they would have lost their antitrust uh, exemption with Congress, which would have created havoc. But Al thought, okay, charging, say, a dollar to watch us play on Sunday, there's a lot more TV sets in the Los Angeles area than the Oakland area. So that's why he wanted to move. It was financial. And then, uh, but even though he won and lost in court and was a thorn in Roselle's side, everybody I ever talked to thought Al was very bitter because when they had the merger, he wanted to be the commissioner. He didn't want Roselle to be the commissioner. Roselle, who'd been general manager of the Rams, uh, because he was from the NFL, of course, he was going to be commissioner over Al Davis from the upstart AFC. But Al was a longtime coach, and he knew football. Pete Rozelle was not a football guy. And uh, I think Al got a lot of respect for that. Sometimes it created problems. I used to have former players tell me, like, say you had a line coach, and he had taught a certain technique the same way. And Al would come down and watch practice on a golf cart. And if he saw something, he would jump up, stop practice, show this player a technique. And it might be like they used to play when he coached with Sid Gilman, the Chargers, not the way the Raiders were teaching it. But they all knew if Al taught it, that's the way it had to be done. Talking right now with John McClain here on Unnecessary Roughness, Radio Nation Radio 920. One more question for you, John. As far as the Hall of Fame is concerned, what is the hardest position to evaluate when you're trying to determine if a person is a Hall of Famer or not? Offensive lineman. And the reason is you don't know who's blocking whom. And today you have all these statistical uh, companies on the Internet. And I would feel better if they were all manned by former coaches and scouts and not just football fans, and they do a really good job, and we use a lot of information. But for an offensive lineman, I want to know what people said about him, the guys that went against him, the defensive coordinators that drew up game plans for him and made calls. Back when they went to the Pro Bowl, when the Pro Bowl meant something, and then how many times they made the All-Pro team, if they made the All-Decade team, I think the – if you win a Super Bowl, that's great, but I've never, ever held it against a player if he wasn't on a championship team because there's too many other players that play a role in that. And uh, so it's still the hardest to to judge statistically, but now you have all these things, next generation stats, pro football focus, pro football outsiders, where they can tell you everything a lineman does. But one thing I learned a long time ago, Q, you may think you know what a lineman does, but they change. They have 
they have to communicate and assignments change on the fly. And unless they're going to tell you what the change was or the coach is going to tell you which ain't happening, then if you base it on what you think, you're going to get it wrong most of the time. Yeah, John, earlier on the show we were talking about is Matthew Stafford. Now that he has a Super Bowl win, is he a Hall of Famer? And Q mentioned the story of whoever, when Troy Aikman was up, he just stands up and says, Troy Aikman, that's a Hall of Famer, and sits down. So how intense do those meetings get when it comes to pitching? Who deserves to be in the Hall of Fame? Well, first of all, I don't think Matthew Stafford's a Hall of Famer just because he won a Super Bowl. No, I think he's a guy who will be discussed, and what if he makes it or not depends on what he does over the rest of his career. Like people say, Ben Roethlisberger is the first ballot because he won two Super Bowls. Well, in one of them, he was horrible. You know, he was terrible against Seattle. They won in spite of him, but people don't point that out. And so, no-brainer. Troy Aikman was not a no-brainer. There was discussion about him, believe it or not, because he won three Super Bowls. But during the season, he didn't compile gaudy stats because the Cowboys ran the ball so much. His stats were better in the playoffs than in regular season, and that's one reason he made it on the first ballot. The only quarterbacks I can remember where there was no discussion were Dan Marino, John Elway, Peyton Manning, and Brett Favre. And, of course, Tom Brady. They won't even – never forget Ed, the late, great Edwin Pope when it was Dan Marino's time, stood up and said, ladies and gentlemen, Dan Marino, and sat. And with the others, we told them, don't even waste our time giving stats because <laughs> the guys are locks. And, of course, Tom Brady will be a lock where they don't even need to say his name, just grunt, go, Ugh. <laughs> simple as that well john great stuff really wanted to pick your brain about the hall of fame today as again the summer of cliff is what we're calling it around here on radio nation radio 920 uh what are you working on that i need to be on the lookout for john well i'm i'm doing uh all my things i'm on uh sports radio 610 in houston the texans flagship i still do 10 shows a week in six cities and i appreciate you guys having me on mostly what i've been tweeting about lately mclean underscore on underscore NFL, I may have changed that to MLB because it's been the Astros. The Astros <laughs> yeah. have been fantastic. Uh, one uh, beat the Mets three five in a row, went three two against the Yankees, swept the Angels, and overcame a five zero deficit against the Royals last night. And people up here or out here are pumped against about the Astros and hoping the Astros and Yankees meet in the playoffs for a chance to go in the World Series. Yeah, that would be awesome. And the Astros are playing some great ball, so I know everyone in H-Town is enjoying that. Well, John, thank you as always. You're fantastic. We appreciate you. We'll talk to you next week. Q and DeMond, thank you guys very much. And, yes, Q, you were greatly missed. They missed those Titanic home runs. There it is. Thank thank you, John. Thank you, John. There we go. That's all the verification you need right there, DeMond. At least I got someone to back me up. Even if he put extras on it, it don't matter. At least yeah. there's a backup. That one adjective took it too far. But at least Titanic. Hey, but it was something. How much backup did you get from Kayla, your homegirl that you've been around forever? Zero. You got better friends than me, okay? Apparently. <laughs> at least, hey, that was twice you heard it. They could have used you because they got skunked. Now, I would have been good for a couple homers a game. And I, I am a pretty good fielder. I'm a better home run hitter because, well, home runs score the runs. But if you're hitting leadoff, you're not putting any, you're not getting any runs. I know it's not my fault. Hey man, I gotta, I gotta have my Ricky Henderson moment. I can't bat anywhere else but leadoff. I actually had to lobby for that position. The first year he had me play on the, on the, on the team, 
I was penciled in at like number four, and I, I kept I went up to number three, and I was like, "Hey man, let me let me hit at number three. I, I'll get on base." Okay. Now I went up to number three, and I was like, "Hey man, let me bat the number two. And they're like, "Okay." And then number one was up. I was like, "Hey man, I really need to bat at number one. I'll get on base, and you can drive me." And they're like, uh, "Okay." Like nobody thought it was serious except for me, and I was so happy when I achieved it. I was like, "Yes, I'm the leadoff hitter. I'm good." <laughs> I know it's sick. I know I got a sickness. I don't care. I don't care that I got a sickness. I enjoy being sick. (laughs) I really need for you to build up your profile at ESPN and get you at the celebrity softball game that they air like before we all. Hey, dog, done. Done. I'll get it. I'll get it. Give me some time, bro. Give me some time. I'll be there. Boom. Your boy Q. I won't be, hey, man, Jason Fitz is at the the hot dog eating contest. He's a sideline reporter for that. I got to work my way up, but I'm working on it. I'll be there. 319 is the time. Come back. We'll take your calls and text. And then we got Mo Moten from Bleacher Report, from Silver and Black Tonight, also from the uh, Sports Night. He does a little bit of everything. He'll join us at 3.30. This is Rare Nation Radio 920. Welcome back to Unnecessary Roughness. Here's your boy, Q. Trying to figure out where we're coming back into. What is this, Damon? What was that? What was that, Toby? Uh, it's Vice City by XXX Tentacion. Oh, okay. okay. Oh, is that, that that dude with the crazy hair? Yes. With all the tattoos on his face? Mm-hmm. That snitched on everybody? No, no, no. No. No, no that is not him. Who's the guy that snitched on everybody? That is 6ix9ine. Yeah, there you go. There you go. See, I, I don't know about these new cats, man, so I got I to gotta keep it. Okay, I'm just checking. But it's funny that you, because I was just like, yeah, got tattoos all over his face. <laughs> yep. Mm, that's, I mean, that doesn't narrow it down, right? <laughs> hey, man, it's the guy with earrings in his ear and tattoos all over his face. Crazy hair. Yeah, he got well, that, too. Oh, that narrows it down. Yeah, crazy hair. Yeah, okay. Got you. All right. Well, welcome back to Unnecessary Roughness here on Radio Nation Radio 920. Coming up in just a few minutes, we'll hear from Mo Moten for Bleacher Report, Silver and Black Today. Also, Sports Night. He had a really good piece over-unders, and he was talking about Derek Carr. He was talking about Josh Jacobs. He was talking about Devontae Adams, and he was also talking some defense. So we'll get that. It's always great to catch up with Mo. We'll do that about 3.30. We were also talking about Derek Carr and can he throw for 5,000-plus yards and have 30-plus touchdowns this upcoming season as Eric Moody from ESPN was talking on the morning tailgate this morning and said it would not shock him if he did. So got a text right here from Raiderette T. Carr had 4,804 yards passing last season. It's completely possible he'll be 5,000-plus, 23 touchdowns last season and 27 the prior uh, season. With Devontae, Waller, and Renfro, that that – that hands for completion are finally available. Oh, the hands for completion are finally available. Thirty plus touchdowns is right there again. That's from Raiderette T. So uh, I, I think it's I think it's very possible. You know, I mean, and again, I think it has a lot to do with uh, how productive the run game is, and it also goes back to how productive the offensive line is. And what I mean by production, I just mean how good they are. Right? You're not going to throw all around the yard if you can't stand stand upright. Yeah, and it goes to that, the running game, Carr getting that protection. I think that that's the biggest factor that we haven't talked about today about, you know, 5,000 yards, 30 touchdowns. Mm-hmm. Is he going to be able to have enough time to complete right. all these passes and these touchdowns? Right. That's going to be the interesting thing. And, you know, the one thing good about Derek Carr is he's very good at getting the ball out of his hands. So, And with these kind of playmakers, Devontae Adams isn't the fastest dude, but he's really good at the run after the catch. He's really good with yak yards because he can go and make plays happen. Like C.D. Lamb in, in Dallas – isn't the fastest dude, but when he gets the ball in his hands, he knows how to, to make things happen. So I, I like that. Of course, Renfro is able to do what he does, and Waller, he's just a you know a big, big target. So I think you'll see a lot of, I don't know, like intermediate passes, you know, catch and runs, you know, 10 to 15 yards, and then whatever they can get after that. But uh, I, think, I think that Derek Carr could be in line for a very big season. How about this text from Mailman Raider? I thought this was good. 
I think McDaniels will be scheming the defense's weaknesses. If we're passing the ball three times in a game like the Pats did versus the Bills, Carr isn't going to get those stats. If not, I think those are very easy for Carr to get with the weapons in place. And uh, that's always one of those games you'll go back to and be like, man, they literally only threw the ball three times in that game. Right? That was insane. They ran the ball. Everyone in the stadium knew a, a run was coming, and they just couldn't stop it. Yeah, that was, that was, to me, that was where I know that Raider Nation is like enough of that guy. But, man, Trent Brown looked like a beast in that game. Yeah, that the, game. Like the entire offensive line for the Patriots is like, how can they not stop it? That's right. just good offensive line play. Right. To just say like, hey, we know what we're going to do. You know what we're going to do. We're running the ball. Right. Try to stop it. Exactly. 702-365-9200. Let's talk to our guy, Raider Mac. Welcome to the show. What's on your mind? What's up, Q? Chilling, man. Chilling. How you guys doing? Hope uh, you ha- I, I hope you guys had a good fourth here in DeMont. Absolutely. Hey. All right. So so um, I heard that, that you know, you guys were talking about my car and the 5,000 yards. I, I, I think he can do that. That's not that's, – that's, I mean, due for 4,800 and something, he, he was close to 5,000 if, um, if he'd have had some more things. The touchdown is the issue to me because the biggest thing is, is when we get it – Last year we got into the uh, got into the uh, red zone. We ah, oh, you just hung up on him. Did you just hang up on him? Ah, oh, man, why y'all why y'all over there messing with the phone, man? Uh, you know, Toby, growing pains over here. We got the intern. But why y'all messing with the phone while, oh, he's, hey, talking, guys, while, he's, hey, while he's talking? This, this, he's hey. in the middle of talking, and y'all messing with the phone? We got a guest coming up, don't we? Come on, guys. At 3.30, it's only 3.28. You just I'm hung try, up on Raider Mac. I'm trying to, uh, you know, get Toby, the intern, here some reps. And these what happens when we give him I, live reps. I understand about getting live reps, but not while Raider Mac's on the phone explaining what he was explaining. Now, now he's gone. Raider Mac, we sincerely apologize. You want to call back real quick? You can. Man, I thought, I thought that was only Ari that did that. Y'all over there working together, and you guys are hanging up on people. He told me impressive. No, look, look, no, look, no, look, look, no, look, look, no. And he ain't gonna cut for no, you either. Look, no, Toby no. gonna tell everything. No, I was really pointing. No, like, no, Toby. Unbelievable. No, like, he's like, I'm just gonna let y'all argue no, over there. No. I can't believe. You know, Toby, you ain't gotta try to expose me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to defend you. Toby here, did. Blame on me. Look, I'll tell you right now. I went to Kevin Hart this weekend. He was in town, right? He was in town for Saturday and Sunday, and he said, "I'm the guy that'll tell on everybody." Toby just pulled a Kevin Hart. Like, I'll tell. <laughs> it was all DeMond's fault. Look at that. This guy's a seasoned veteran already. Toby's been here about three minutes, and he's like, man, that was DeMond's fault. He learned real quick, didn't he? Raider Mac, I apologize, man. I got I to gotta get Ari. I got to bring Ari back. At least Ari, he don't hang up on people no more. Unbelievable. 329 is the time. Are we going to call Mo? What are we going to do? Are we going to get Let's just take a quick break. You know, it's a lot going on around here. Yeah, it is. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back with Mo Moten. This is Raider Nation Radio 920. Welcome back to Unnecessary Roughness. Here's your boy, Q. Trying to restore order around here. Unnecessary Roughness, Radio Nation Radio 920. 331 the time. Damon, Toby, and your boy, Q. Just uh, just for reference, Damon and Toby are in the hanging up on people business. Me, I am not. So, our next guest we're bringing on. Very excited to have Mo Moten on from Bleacher Report, Silver and Black Tonight, from Sports Night. He does a little bit of everything. Mo, I'm going to tell you in advance, man. Uh, welcome to the show. And if you get hung up on, it's because of those two delinquents over across the board from me. I, I heard they hung up on Raider Mac. I hope they don't hang up on me. I called Toby DeMond by accident, so he might try to get a little revenge on me if I... If I get if I get hung up on here, so well, I'll tell you I right now, they're in the same boat. <laughs> they're they're both working together in, in cahoots and hanging up on folks. So yeah, if it's Toby, if it's Demond, there's one of them's gonna do it. So I hope that it doesn't happen. But 
let's get to let's get to your uh, your piece that you put out. Thought it was really good talking about the over unders. Las Vegas Raiders six over under predictions for the 2022 season. And let's start with Derek Carr. And it's funny our conversation started with Derek Carr on the show today, where uh, we had uh, uh, Eric Moody from ESPN. He had said that he thought. Derek Carr could go 5,000 yards and 30 touchdowns and would not be surprised. So when you hear that, knowing what he did last season, about 4,800 yards and uh, less than 30 touchdowns, we had about 23 touchdowns. What are your thoughts on that? A couple of things, or a few things. I think it's absolutely possible. Uh, with the weapons he has, Devontae Adams coming in, he has a rapport with Darren Waller and Hunter Renfro, as we all know. It could happen. I just don't think it will because, one, I think the, the offense would be a little more balanced. Uh, the Raiders didn't have much of a run game last year. They also abandoned the run in a lot of games. They were 26 in rush attempts. So I think that's going to balance itself out. Carr won't have to throw the ball 600. He may not have to throw the ball 626 times. And I, and I think that when you talk about yards, I don't, I don't put a lot of weight on that. I'm looking at the touchdown total. Mm-hmm. If you throw for 48,000, if he throws for 4,800 yards, fine. If he throws for, you know, 4,200 4, yards, fine. How many touchdown passes is he going to throw? And that's why I focused on that in my piece, because I think that's the main stat that a lot of people are looking at, because he's only thrown for more than, I believe, 28 touchdowns in one season. So he, I think that's the number, that's the important number. And I think that the p- passing yards, that, that total can fluctuate based on how many dry, offensive drives the Raiders have. Again, if the running game is, is percolating, you know, you have some balance. There's just so many variables. You really can't predict passing yards. And you also got to remember, he played four overtime games last year. Mm-hmm. As I just, and as I just said, he had to carry that offense because there was no run game. Right. Now, that makes a lot of sense. So the over-under that you had for the touchdowns, you went to 30 touchdowns, and you said over. So realistically, how many do you think that he, he could be in line to get? I'll say 35 passing touchdowns and 4,600 yards. Okay. No, that's, that's no, that's that's good. And how much how much is head coach Josh McDaniels? How much do you think he's going to help him be able to execute in the red zone instead of having to settle for field goals like the Raiders did quite a bit in twenty twenty one? Will they be able to turn that that red zone uh, presence and, and, and trip in, instead of a field goal turn that into a touchdown? Well, two things. I think Devonta Adams is going to help in that area. I don't think Devonta Adams is going to rack up a bunch of yards again because he's going to have to share the targets with Renfro and Waller. But I think where he's really going to help is in the red zone. I think that's where Carr is going to look for him and look for his best target. And I think he'll have double-digit touchdowns. I could see him having 13, 14 touchdowns this year. And I think that's going to be the key to the Raiders' red zone offense. The Raiders also drafted Demir White. I think that's where he can see his carries. If he fights in some touches away from Josh Jacobs, who, as we know, can get nicked up, may only get 12 to 15 carries per game. I think that's where Zemir White can come in and help the Raiders in the red zone. Talking right now with Mo Moten here on Unnecessary Roughness, Radio Nation Radio 920. And let's go to the running game because you had Josh Jacobs uh, over under for 900 yards. Last year he didn't have 900 yards. This year you don't think he's going to have 900 yards. How do you see that distribution going as far as the Raiders running uh, running back room? I think this is going to be the first year you're going to see Josh Jacobs get fewer than 200 carries. And I bring that up because if you look at what Josh McDaniels has done with the Patriots, the Patriots haven't had a 1,000-yard rusher since 2016. And that was with Garrett Blunt. He was their workhorse. He had 299 carries that year. Jacobs isn't going to sniff 300 carries with Drake, with Zemir White, with Bowman there. He, he's going to probably be in that 175, 180, 190 range. And I think that's why I have him under. 900 rushing yards. Let me ask you this real quick because you said Jacobs, you said Drake, you know, Zamir White. Uh, there's seven running backs in the room right now. Who all, who all do you think is part of the mix, like, realistically in 2022? Realistically, to me, it comes down to the top four. Jacobs, Drake, 
Zamir White, and Brandon Bolton. I think Brandon Bolton and Kenyon Drake would be the guys who get the passes out of the backfield, and Zamir White and Jacobs would be the ones running the ball for the most part. Yeah, Mo, when it comes to that actual production, you said Carr, 35 touchdowns. How do you how do you see that running game being productive, and what stats do you th- see them putting up? You said Josh Jacobs under 900 yards, but what about touchdowns and carries for the rest of the crew? Touchdowns and carries for the rest of the crew. That That's hard. I think I think Drake can be – he'll be about – five to eight, you know, six to eight carries per game. I think toward the end of the season, you'll see Zamir White take those carries, and he'll be in that six to eight carries per game range. I think Jacobs will be the featured back in that backfield. A lot of people wonder will he be traded. I don't think that's the case. I think he'll be more of like a, a Damian Harris with the Patriots, and I think that's about, you know, 800 to 900 yards, plus adding under. But I think Jacobs can still legitimately get 10 rushing touchdowns. He's still going to get a bulk of the carries, but I just don't see the volume there for him. Talking right now with Mo Moten here on Unnecessary Roughness, Radio Nation Radio 920. Let's get to the defensive side of the ball. That's where I'm really intrigued, man. What's going on defensively? Because I think that that's what really is going to, you know, show what kind of team this is going to be in 2022. Max Crosby and Chandler Jones, those two running buddies, those two bookend defensive ends, over under 20 sacks. That has not happened with the Raiders since Warren Sapp and Derek Burgess. You see that happening this year. Yes, I do. And I actually pointed that out. I, I, you know, a lot of people said, oh, you know, definitely over. And I'm like, hold on. You know the history of the Raiders, you know, defense with sacks. It's, it's been about 16 years, as you just pointed out, Warren Sapp and Derrick Burgess. And that was the year they went 2-14, and 14, if you remember that season. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I, do think, I, I do think Crosby and Chandler Jones is probably the Raiders' best sack duo, best pass rushing duo they've had in a while. I know people are going to bring up Khalil Mack and Bruce Irvin. But we all know Phil Mack was a step above Bruce Irvin. I, right. I, I see Chandler Jones and Max Crosby pretty much on the same plan. I know Chandler Jones has an all, has all pro seasons on his resume, and Max Crosby's on the way up. But I think those two, at this point in their careers, they're on equal footing. I can see them both getting double-digit sacks, and that's why I'm going over. I'll say Chandler Jones gets 12 and Max Crosby gets 10. Okay, because last season, uh, Crosby and Unique Ngakwe had 18, with uh, Max having 8 and Unique having 10. Uh, how much better, if any, do you think Chandler Jones is than Unique Ngakwe? I think he's a better overall player. I, I, you know what? Unique Ngakwe always had his issues in run support, and I think that's where Chandler Jones is, is significantly better. I say Chandler Jones is still that dude when it comes to getting after the quarterback. I, I would say he's a little bit better than Yannick Gakwe at this point in career because let's not disrespect what Yannick did last season. Right. And he's been a productive edge rusher. Mm-hmm. But I just think Chandler Jones has proven that he's on another level. Yeah, I like Unique a lot. I, I mean, I really do. It just it seemed like towards the end of the season he started to to wear out and, and run out of gas, mm-hmm. especially in that, that playoff game against the Bengals where they really needed him. Seems like he was just, you know, kind of, like I say, kind of gassed a little bit. Again, we're talking with Mo Moten here on Radio Nation Radio 920 necessary roughness now how about interceptions you talked about Trayvon Mullen and he said on Twitter seven to eight uh, I said at the beginning of the show that's not gonna happen he's never done that in his career going back to college and that's not me rooting against him that's just me being realistic that's not gonna happen not to mention the Raiders only had six as a team as far as interceptions go from a year ago I don't care about the individual I care about the team what do you think realistic expectations for this Raiders defense are as far as creating turnovers and interceptions in particular well, I think it has to. Well, it has to be better because I believe they had the third fewest turnovers overall last year, and they've struggled. I, I put out countless tweets pointing out how they've struggled to force uh, turnovers in recent years, and that has to change. I, I think, you know, if you can get more than ten interceptions, you're in a, you're in a good you know you're in a good pool. As you mentioned, 
Trayvon Mullen probably not going to get the seven eight that he said that he would on Twitter. I, I even have him under four. I think Trayvon Merrick is the guy. Is gonna, he's going to have you know he's going to leave that team interception. I think he could have four. He had four as a sophomore at TCU. Just a note there. But as you said, I, I don't care too much about the individual. I put that out there because Mullen had the tweet. Yeah. But as a team, the Raiders need to, to force more turnovers, and I think they will under uh, Patrick Graham. Yeah, and going back to those over-under numbers, you said Derek Carr, 35 touchdowns. Devontae Adams, his career high is 18 touchdowns in a season. What do you think that his touchdown totals can be with having to share the load with Waller and Renfro? I think it'll be 13-14. I'll go 15 the highest only because I think once it gets down in, inside the 20-yard line, inside the 10-yard line, Carr is going to go to the guy that he trusts the most, and that's probably going to be Devontae Adams even though he hasn't played legitimately with, with Devontae since his collegiate years. But he's going to go to his number one target because, as we all know, Waller had some issues in the red zone early in his career. He wasn't racking up the touchdowns as you thought he would at his size. But Devontae Adams has been a touchdown machine. I think he will single-handedly help the Reds in the red zone. Plus, he's one of the best route runners when it comes to in the red zone, right? I mean, he's one of those guys at the Atlanta scrimmage. That's how he gets open. The thing is, if you ever watch him off the line of scrimmage, his release off the line of scrimmage, he does really well. That's how he frees himself at the beginning of the route, gets himself open, and that's how he wins his battle one-on-one. I think he'll be able to do that with the Raiders and free himself of Derek Carr downfield. And between him and Hunter Renfro with the way that Hunter Renfro runs routes, and I know that they're not the, the crispest, but, I mean, he finds ways to get open. That should be a lethal duo between those two guys. Yeah, they don't see a lot of people say, well, the Raiders need a speed guy. They need a speed guy. And, and I think that they don't have the speed. They don't have the speed guy that's going to burn you down. I feel like the Henry Ruggs would have. But those two, as you just mentioned, probably two of the best route runners in the game in Devontae Adams and Hunter Renfro. You won't need the speed. Those guys can just get open. Well, let me ask you this when it comes to the wide receiver, and this has nothing to do with the over under piece that you put out, but uh, Demarcus Robinson and, and then you have uh, Cole. Uh, uh, who do you think is that next wide receiver? You know, you have Adams, you have Renfro. Who do you think is going to be that next guy? Initially, I said it would be Demarcus Robinson, but I, I've been watching a lot of Keelan Cole, and, it's, and I think it's going to be Keelan Cole because he was productive coming out of – he was an undrafted rookie coming out of Kentucky Westland, and he, he produced with the Jaguars. When he had opportunities, when he was one of the top two receivers on that, on that roster, he produced. He was either one or two in receiving yards and catches. And he's also – he could be a big play receiver. Last year with the Jets out here in my backyard, average – 16 yards per catch. So I think he's going to be the third wide receiver in that in that uh, trio. Yeah, Mo, one of the numbers that people, they want the under and they want it all the way, Daniel Carlson. What do you think, <laughs> how many field goals do you think he att- attempts and makes this upcoming season? Man, that's a tough question. I, as you said, I, I would hope it's a low number. I, I, I can't even put a figure on it right now. <laughs> but if I had to say, I mean, last year, he I believe he made 40. Attempted 43, I, I would want that number in the mid-30s. Maybe he makes 35 out of, out of 37, 38. But you, you just don't want to see Daniel Carson more than you see Derek Carr in the field when it's, third, when it's uh, fourth or third down. So no, yeah, as, yeah. Long as, the are scoring, as long as the Raiders are scoring touchdowns, mm-hmm. I'm fine with that. Right, exactly. That's the biggest thing, man. There was way too many times a year ago that in the red zone, Carlson had to come out, and, and to the Raiders' credit, he was very consistent and hit most of his field goals, like you mentioned, but they can't keep uh, trying to win games with three instead of seven, right? I mean, it just it's just not going to work like that. So, final question for you, Mo, and this is fantastic as always, man. It's always great to catch up with you. The only numbers that end up mattering at the end of the day are wins and losses. 
Mm-hmm. Our fine folks here in Vegas have the Raiders at eight and a half. Last year they had them, I think, six and a half. I thought that that was silly. Eight and a half seems very low for me for a team that won 10 games, went to the playoffs, and in my opinion, got better. What says you, eight and a half, over, under, what are you thinking about the Raiders' uh, win-loss total? First of all, I want to say rest in peace to Hammer and Hank. I'm not as good as him when it comes to handicapping these things, but mm-hmm. I bet on the Raiders in the last two years. And I took the over on their wins, and I've been right. And I'm taking over this year. I said it in my piece. I was like, this, is, this isn't this is quite taking candy from a baby, but this is like taking candy from a strong toddler because they, they're in a <laughs> tough decision. They have the Chargers. They got the Broncos. They got the Chiefs. It is a tough decision, so I can see where people have some concern. But I think they're good enough on both sides of the ball to, get, to have another winning season. And as you know, my pin tweet, I have them going 10-7 and now. I'm sticking to that. Okay, so 10-7. and seven. Is that enough to make it to the playoffs for the Raiders? That depends on a lot of tiebreakers. I think <laughs> it's going to come down to some tiebreakers. The Raiders may have to sweep one of their division rivals to get in, or they may have to beat an opponent down the stretch to get in. And I think they're equipped to do that. But it's going to come down to a tiebreaker. It's going to come down to that Week 18 game, Allegiant Stadium against yep. the Kansas City Chiefs. I'm just going to say it right now. I'm throwing it out there, Mo. You heard me say it on July 5th, 20 and 22. That's what it is. So great stuff as always, my man. What do you got coming out that I need to be on the lookout for? Raiders fans may not want to be on the lookout for this one because I'm actually grading the 2017 draft class for each team. And as we know, that was the draft class. Garen Conley, uh, Eddie Vanderdoes, and uh, Ovin Fomu. So yeah. might want to cover your eyes for that one. I do have a piece coming out, most dominant player at each position. I'm not going to spoil anything, but there might be a Raider or two in a couple of those categories. Okay, yeah. Hey, I'll be looking for that one, but I don't want anything to do with the 2017 draft. I don't want anything to do with the 2020 draft. I just, I'm telling you right now, neither one of those I'm a big fan of, but uh, I'll definitely be looking out for that most dominant player. Mo, great stuff as always, my man. Thanks for taking some time for us this afternoon. I appreciate you, and you be safe. I appreciate you guys, uh, and appreciate Toby and DeMond for not hanging up on me. <laughs> I know that's right. <laughs> Great stuff, Mo. Great stuff. Definitely appreciate it. Right. There he goes. Mo Moten right there. Bleacher Report, Silver and Black Tonight, uh, Sports Night. He does it all. He does a little bit of everything. And, yeah, man, I don't want nothing to do with that 2017 draft. That was – I was so angry at that damn 2017 draft. Anytime I even think of that, anytime I think of that damn Gary on Conley, man, it drives me nuts. Nuts. I mean, you want to talk about getting, like, real-life angry. Like, the wife hates it at the house when she hears the name Garyon Conley. She's like, oh, damn, he's about to go off. Every time someone brings up that damn name, Garyon Conley, I lose my blank. What about Melon Fonwu? I can't, I can't decide on who your disappointment lies in more. Garyon Conley. Oh, wow. Oh, I'll tell you right now. Oh, wow. I'll tell you know. right now. Because no. when you talk about Melon Fonwu, nah, he's like Bigfoot. Big he's Bigfoot, but at least he's something. You know what I mean? At least he was something. At least he was something to get you excited. Like, Bigfoot, you kind of get excited. Like, whoa, I know we ain't seen it, but if we do, it's cool, right? Man, that damn Gary on Conley, I knew from the jump that that was a bad decision. <laughs> I knew that was a bad decision. I tell the story, I tell it all the time. Standing at the bottom of the Rocky Steps, waiting for the Raiders to make their pick. All of a sudden, I get a text message, because you know everyone knows the pick before it's actually announced. I get a text message from my coworker, Paul Catalina. He said, I guess the Raiders don't care about Gary on Conley's uh, legal issues. And I said, what the F? I, I literally text back, what the F? And he said, you'll see. With the 24th overall pick in the 2017 draft, the Raiders pick Garyon Conley, cornerback at Ohio State. And I was like, what in the blank is going on? And I was at the steps. I'm way too fired up about this. The Ohio State University, those corners. Oh, yeah, they're great. Haven't you told? Can't, can't you tell? They're great. Fantastic. Jeez, that was awful. 
That was so awful. And I knew that, man, a lot of people, including Rod Woodson, had a lot of high hope for him. G's going to be good. G's going to be good. So I allowed myself to believe that maybe he's going to be good and maybe I'm just wrong. No, that I was right. <laughs> I was right. Getting mad. Got to get it. You know what? Let's get happy. Let's give out something. That makes me happy. Let's give out something. Instead of talking about Gary on Conley, let's, let's give something out. Summer League, it is here. It is going to be on Thursday is when it gets started. If you want four tickets to go to Summer League to see some of the best young talent that the NBA will have to offer for plenty of years to come, you want to go to this. So hit us up right now. Call number nine is what I'm looking for. Toby and DeMond will not hang up on you. 702-365-9200. Call number nine is what I'm looking for to get hooked up with four tickets to Summer League. This is Randish Radio 920. I think what's so special about it is everybody's first experience to see like a lot of these guys as pros. You know, for me, I was so excited to play because... It was the Damian Lillard Show, the sixth pick for the Trailblazers. In four games, averaged 26 and a half points, handed out more than five assists, and corralled four rebounds per game. It went a long way to Lillard being named co-MVP of the 2012 Las Vegas Summer League. Welcome back to Unnecessary Roughness. Here's your boy, Q. How appropriate right there. You hear some sounds of Dame Lillard winning the MVP of the 2012 Las Vegas Summer League, and we're hooking up Summer League tickets right now, and Zach got hooked up with a family four-pack of tickets to go see some Summer League action. It's really a lot of fun, man. I can't wait to get out there. We'll be out there on Thursday. This show will be all the way live there. Uh, Little Q, he's actually flying in. He actually made his flight, so he's uh, flying in today. So hopefully he'll get out there and get to see some Summer League action, and he's supposed to be uh, doing a little running with some uh, UNLV coaches as well. So uh, there's that. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, hey, look, man. You know, pops got to put you in the best position to succeed, man. You know what I'm saying? So that's what we do. That's how we. Uh, that's how we handle it around here. But transfer portal talks? Ah, no, 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 no. Just, just sharpening the, sharpening the tools. That's all. It's kind of like me when I do my work on ESPN, uh, ESPN National. Just sharpening the tools. That's all. Keeping, keeping the tools sharp. You know, so we come in here, everything goes perfect except for you know when we hang up on people. Well, if you want to get some run with the boys over at UNLV, you know. Hey, Some man, you can't runs. even get on any court that Little Q's on. There's not a court. Like, you can't even get on the court that he used to have when he was a baby. It's just open run, so I, technically I can't. No, you technically <laughs> you can't. <laughs> you technically can't. Because I'm if not you saying walk, what's going to happen. If you walk on the court that he's on, he's walking to the next court. He's like, oh, yeah, I'm on the wrong court. This dude. You know, in, in AAU, they have the front gyms, and then they have the back gyms. DeMond's not even in the back gym. DeMond's out back back. You know, he's outside of the gym. That's where you're getting your run at. All we need to see is I got next. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We'll see what you got next. We'll see when you got next. But, uh, yeah, Summer League is here, man. I'm excited about it. Can't wait to see some of these young stars uh, coming up in the NBA. Vegas Pete hit us up on the Salmon Ash text line at 69187. Thank you, Vegas Pete. He said, I text because you can't hang up on that. LOL. Anyways, the defense will also have something to do with how much car will throw because they were behind in games. And ahead, we run more. Behind pass 80% of the time. So what he's saying in that is that if the defense keeps them from being behind early, then Derek Carr doesn't have to throw the rock as much. So that definitely situation, situational football is basically what he's talking about right there. And that definitely has a lot to do with it. But I'm, I'm believing even if it's not necessarily, you know, the 5,000 yard mark that everyone's talking about and 30 plus touchdowns, I think 30 plus touchdowns is something that's reasonable, right? I do think that that is, is really a realistic number that that should be a target for Carr. And I don't need to see him go like 45. I don't need to see all that. That's fine. 
That just means that he's throwing the rock a whole lot, which is fine if they're scoring touchdowns, right? I mean, nobody's going to complain at the end of the day if they're winning games. But I think 30 touchdowns should be the benchmark for the, the team this upcoming season. And I think that's very achievable with what he has to work with. And also, I know that the receivers, everybody, everybody's kumbaya right now, but they want to get those numbers. They want to have that production. So you're going to have to spread that rock around. So 30, not everybody's going, it's not going to be 10, 10, 10 with just those three receivers. But, you know, they still want to put up those numbers. I know that they say they don't, but nobody just wants to be like, oh, man, we only had 20 passing touchdowns because that's not going to look good on the scoreboard. And it's not going to look good for those guys like Waller, who's trying to get a new contract. Right. That's that's a good point. Got another text here uh, from the 707. Carr did have a lot of yards, but with the Raiders also had four overtime games, too, which has been pointed out a couple times. I won't be surprised if his yards is about the same next year, but I expect 35 or more touchdowns, depending on how well the running game performs in the red zone. I agree. That's 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 kind of the key. 30, 30 plus touchdowns should be. Like I said, the target number. I do believe that there's going to be some emphasis also on the run game in the red zone. But the one thing that I said, and I'll stand on, that the Raiders did a lot of in 2021 is they did not throw the ball into the end zone. They threw the ball short to the sideline and expected a guy to make a play. I think this year, instead of seeing the sideline stuff, the lateral stuff, you're going to see the north and south. You're going to see throws into – remember Jim Plunkett used to come on the show every Monday. What do you say? Throw the ball into the end zone. That's all he wants to see. That's what I think you'll see a lot more of. Throws into the end zone. Perfect example is that how the season ended in the playoffs against the Bengals. Right. That's something that I think when you have Devontae Adams on the field with Waller and with Renfro, he, he's going he's gonna to feel more comfortable to make that throw. Right. No doubt about it. Let's take one quick call. 702-365-9200. Tell me who we got up. Raider Mac is back. Oh, Raider Mac is back. One more time. Raider Mac, welcome to the show. Y'all not gonna hang up on me, are you? No, nah, man. I told these guys, man. I told these guys where to go with that stuff. They ain't gonna do it again. Oh, man. Hey, and I always pick up for tomorrow, but you know what, man? Hey, I'm I'm off this bandwagon. <laughs> what? <laughs> Toby, look what you've done. <laughs> Don't hey, put the blame on quick, me. Hey, yeah, 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 yeah. You, you in charge, not him. But uh, anyway, I, I, y'all good, y'all good. Things happen, man. I don't, you know, I don't take it personal. Hey. You. Here, here's the thing. I, I, I'm like you. I'm worried about the defense. Ah, the scoring, I think Derek Carr will throw for the five, like I said before. But the biggest problem I see is that and Trayvon Mullen, he, he's dreaming. He, he at Disneyland. He's not getting no eight in the section. He might not even start. So put that down July 5th. Brady Max said he may not start at that other corner because I don't think he's that good. But his, and that's just my opinion for what I – well, pro folk pro football focus has been saying. But my biggest thing is the, is the, is the linebackers. We, we, I don't see no depth behind the linebackers and somebody get hurt. We, we don't have much behind that. And also, Q, uh, and, and I'll go with this. Hey, you know, the, the USC and UCLA making the biggest mistake of their lives going to that big team. You know why? why? I'm from L.A. And I'm telling you, the parents are not parents. Usually go to the games a five-hour drive to Arizona. You go to Washington State. You go to Oregon State. Now you got to fly all the way cross country to 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 Ohio State mm-hmm. and all these games. That costs money. It's just a lot. I've been through that because my son was going to Akron, nice. and um, I had to fly all the way across every weekend, and it it, it was a pain. I mean, they're not going to be seeing a bunch of games. But why would you not? Why would you leave and go to? You should have went to the Pac-12, I mean to the SEC. Why would you go to that? 
That's a good question. That's a really good question. Thank you for the call, my man. I do appreciate you. And I'm glad you asked about uh, some college football because we're going to talk college football next as we kick off our number three of the show. Shayhan Jaraja from CBS Sports. He's going to join to talk all things college football. And we'll ask him that exact question to start things off. This is Radio Nation Radio 920. This is JT for Grimaldi's Pizzeria, cold-fired brick oven pizza, a must-have for anyone craving great pizza. Locations at Boca Park, the Palazzo, South Rainbow, and Green Valley. Learn more at GrimaldisPizzeria.com. 